This is the East Trauma Cast. Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Valdez from Spectrum Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm very excited to introduce our next TraumaCast moderator, Red Hoffman from Asheville, North Carolina. You all may remember Red from our Palliative Care TraumaCast last fall. She has since joined the online education committee and is as enthusiastic about the TraumaCast as I am. Up next is her very first TraumaCast on the Trauma Survivors Network. We will include links to the resources discussed on the east.org website under the TraumaCast notes. I think Red did a great job, and I hope you enjoy the TraumaCast as much as I do. Hi, everyone. This is Red Hoffman. I'm an acute care surgeon in Asheville, North Carolina, and a new guest moderator of the TraumaCast. Today, I'll be discussing the Trauma Survivors Network with four awesome guests, Dr. Chris Machetti, Anna Newcomb, John, and Richard. Let's take a moment and let you all introduce yourselves. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Chris Machetti. I'm a trauma and acute care surgeon at Innova Fairfax Hospital in Falls Church, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. And I've been a practicing surgeon here for about 19 years. And my name is Anna Newcomb, and I am the trauma research manager at Innova Fairfax Hospital with Chris Machetti, also the president of the American Trauma Society, and the initial and in- uh, initiator of the Trauma Survivors Network. Just realized it's been 25 years this month that we've been working on that. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm Richard Schiller, and I'm a trauma survivor here who was taken care of here at Nova Hospital in 2014. And I've been actively involved in trauma survivor network activities pretty much ever since. Hi, I'm John Opitz. I'm also a trauma survivor, and uh, I had uh, my trauma, a cycling accident, in 2012, and I have been uh, working with TSN since November of 2012 as a volunteer. Well, thank you guys all so much for being here today. I'm really excited to chat with all of you. Chris, we'll start with you. So I understand that you are a past president of the American Trauma Society, And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about this organization. In particular, how does it differ from organizations that some of our listeners may be more familiar with, like EAST or the AAST? Well, uh, the American Trauma Society has been around for 51 years now, started in 1968. And it is different than the organizations you mentioned. It's not primarily a scientific organization like EAST and AAST. Although we do promote the evidence-based medicine and patient care in some ways, but really our mission is injury prevention, supporting trauma center staff and supporting trauma survivors through their recovery. And we do that through uh, a number of programs that we have, um, including programs for trauma program managers, registrars, injury prevention activities, and also the Trauma Survivors Network, which is really our main resource that we run to help patients in their post-hospital recovery. And who's able to join the ATS? Uh, Really, any person can join uh, the ATS. You don't have to be a physician. As a matter of fact, physicians are a real minority of our organization. Uh, A lot of our members are people that work at trauma centers, registrars, program managers, nurses, injury prevention professionals. 
You can also join as a trauma survivor if you're part of the Trauma Survivors Network or not part of that program. And you can be a public member as well. Just like uh, the American Cancer Society, you can uh, support that mission by you know uh, donating or becoming a member. You can do the same with ATS. So Anna, I know you're the current president of ATS. And I know that the ATS runs many different programs, but I wanted to ask you specifically today about the Trauma Survivor Network. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the history of this program and then how it looks at your particular institution. So the Trauma Survivors Network was started here at Innova Fairfax Hospital about 25 years ago as a support group for trauma survivors and their families. And the support group grew into a uh, to include a number of other activities that the survivors were interested in participating in, in particular, providing education in the community for other uh, trauma providers, EMS, uh, nurses, social workers, and physicians, as well as providing support to other newly injured patients in the hospital. Around 2000 or 2001, the American Trauma Society became interested in supporting patients and families as part of their mission and doing it in a way that really included those that population in their uh, membership and in their sites as educational activities. And so Nova Fairfax Hospital joined with the American Trauma Society in the early 2000s to begin uh, conceptualizing how we might move this from one institution to a national organization. Then around 2006 or seven, the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health picked up the TSN as an intervention that in fact, the Department of Defense was interested in testing as an intervention that might help folks who were involved in war and conflict. And we tested that in about six centers nationally by training new trauma survivors network coordinators and studying the effects of those interventions in those hospitals and a number of hospitals that did not have TSN coordinators. Following the study from what's called the Major Extremity Trauma Research Consortium, we actually found there was a significant amount of momentum in the American Trauma Society to actually begin supporting an increasing number of trauma centers to initiate their own trauma survivors networks. And to this day, we have over 100 centers now that are actually getting support from the American Trauma Society to start a trauma survivors network and maintain it. Here at Inova Fairfax Hospital, since it's the longest standing TSN site we've got so far, we have a number of support groups that are available for trauma survivors, including trauma survivor uh, educational groups, TBI educational groups and support, spinal cord injury support, as well as families of trauma survivors. We also provide a number of educational sessions for primarily first responders in the community. And most recently, 
since I'm the research manager here at Fairfax Hospital, we have been engaging a lot of the survivors who are official volunteers at our hospital in a number of research projects, as well as in the education that we do of trauma and surgical residents in the communication area. So we take our former patients who are all TSN members and train them as actors and have them support trauma and surgical residents in their skills practice in communication with patients and families. Oh, that sounds amazing. As a palliative care provider, that makes me very, very happy, I have to say. (laughs) John, can you share a little bit about your story and about how you got involved with the TSN? I'm curious what kinds of volunteering that you've done with the TSN since you've joined. Well, I was in a uh, bicycling accident about uh, six years ago, and which involved multiple injuries. I had a, a significant concussion and a crushed heel and a broken displaced clavicle and, and numerous other broken bones. So I ended up in the hospital for a couple of weeks and had two reconstructive surgeries and followed by three months in a wheelchair and several more months of uh, physical therapy. And when it was all over, I got a letter from the trauma coordinator at Fairfax Hospital who asked if I would be interested in joining their program to uh, to maybe work with other patients who had gone through uh, similar trauma incidents. I I did that and I did some peer visiting and um, found that that it seemed to help me as much as it did the, the parents of the people I spoke with and the patients I spoke with, that, uh, that they were all kind of glad to see that, that one could get through trauma and come out on the other end uh, in one piece. And so it was kind of rewarding for me and I hope rewarding for them. Uh, since then, the American Trauma Society and, and the hospital has involved me in a number of different volunteer activities beyond just peer visiting. We have gone out and made community presentations on uh, uh, our experiences as patients and and trauma survivors to everyone from uh, social work students at George Mason University to firefighters and EMTs uh, to physical therapists and, and have done a number of community presentations as well to uh, high school students who are interested in in maybe pursuing a medical profession. We also have participated as standardized patients in training for nurses and surgeons. So it's, it's run a, a lot of different activities over the years and, and includes even, you know, they, they seem to have no exhaustion of ideas of things for us to do. And, and we're really happy, uh, glad to help out with that. Richard. Can you tell us a little bit about what happens during your visits with patients? It goes through several stages. When you first start talking to them, it's usually a reserved response from them, if they say anything at all, to after they hear your story, it tends to, they are more focused on what your problem was and how you got there and how you recovered. And then... Which I try to, I'm not sure that all uh, volunteers do this, but I try to focus it back on what their problem is and get them to talk about their accident. And oftentimes 
it'll turn out to be a long discussion from them, depending on their memory of what happened, and uh, also to uh, understand what their what their concerns are about recovery, and more often to define what the unknown unknowns are, and that will quickly uh, be described as you know what kinds of physical therapy did you go through. How long did it take you to recover? How did it affect your uh, communication skills, particularly with me as a TBI? It took me several, about six months to get my speech and speech patterns back. Oh, wow. They were very interested in hearing about that. So after that, it either dropped off the shelf or they then took the lead and talked for a long time. Um, independent of whether or not they're family members there or not. So it, it, it was, it's really a full range of responses from patients from silence to you can't stop them from talking about it. I, I think Richard has kind of covered everything pretty well. Uh, I think the only thing I might add is, is that in what I've found in these conversations is that uh, there may be a little wariness to begin with, uh, and I think the key for a, a pure visitor is to kind of listen to them and pick up our cues and what they have to say. And generally, I've found that they become more relaxed when they learn that you're one of them as opposed to you're another person coming in to take blood or medication or, or want something from them or to do something from them. You're there more as, as uh, someone, yeah, kind of suffering along with them. And that, I think, leads to the sort of conversations that, that Richard was, was talking about. And then they, they do open up and, and talk about a lot of things, you know, and, and some things that we don't really necessarily need to know. But sometimes they will tell us things that they won't tell their doctors or their nurses. Uh, and we'll take that and we'll have a debrief. We'll go back and talk with the TSN coordinators and say, you know, so-and-so has... They seem to be doing well here, but they got a problem outside the hospital. There's a work problem and there's a childcare problem. But we can, can kind of convey some information that they'll volunteer to a peer visitor that maybe they won't volunteer to a medical professional. And so that I think that that listening part of what we do is, is an important part of a function of what the peer visitors can do. Chris, have you found that getting that feedback from the peer visitors has enabled you to alter the care of the patient in some way? Well, you know, interestingly, I don't really engage much with the peer visitors as far as what they get from and give to the patients. So I, I might see them walking through the ICU, going to the floor to see a patient, but I don't know anything about their conversation. I just know that they're there and they're a resource. And so it does alter how I care for a patient in a little way because I know that I have the TSN and the peer visitors as an extra resource for all those things that I can't do as a trauma surgeon. So if a patient is having difficulty coping uh, with what they're going through, you know, I can give them some advice, but I kind of know in the back of my mind that I have someone with that will be seen by the patient with more credibility to tell them about how to cope with with injury and with recovery in a way that 
that, you know, they'll take it from me, but it might not ring as true uh, coming from me versus um, another trauma survivor. Red, can I jump in here? This is Anna. One of the things that Dr. Machete can't represent his colleagues in that when he started at Inova Fairfax Hospital, the TSN was already here. He kind of, I guess, grew up knowing that this was a resource that was available to them. But I think one thing that the study, the Hopkins study demonstrated to us was the difference it made to the surgeons who were involved with the um, TSN sites versus the surgeons who were not. What we learned was that the surgeons who knew they had the resource available to them were actually more likely to bring up conversations that were usually kind of challenging for them. How are they doing? How is the family doing? Because they knew that if they got into an area that was beyond their capacity or interest, especially in the clinic, they could make a referral to the TSN and the TSN would pick up the conversation where they had um, left off. And the sites that did not have the TSN available to them, the surgeons were just more hesitant to uh, ask the, that next question is, how are you doing and how is your family doing? Because there was nothing they could do if it turned out they were really struggling and the surgeons were kind of afraid of that conversation. So Dr. Machete doesn't realize what it's like to, to work without this resource, but I think that we're finding the surgeons are probably more likely to engage in those kind of conversations because they know that there is somebody available to do the listening and the processing with them. And when you say make a referral to the TSN, in your institution, does that mean either make a referral for an inpatient or can you actually make a referral if you're seeing someone, say, as a follow-up in clinic six weeks later, can you also make a referral to the TSN at that point as well? Yeah, um, you can do either of those. So we have uh, all the TSN centers have someone designated or one or two people as the TSN coordinator. So here at my hospital, we have one person and I can call her, you know, cold call her uh, while I'm in a patient's room and say, hey, you know, please visit this patient today. Or if I'm in the clinic two weeks later and patient is maybe showing some signs of, you know, depression, concussion symptoms, you know, coping issues, I can, I provide them a pamphlet and a booklet, and then I email our coordinator and say, hey, could you follow up with this patient? They could probably really use some help. And I also, you know, being familiar with the program, offer some information, but I usually leave it to our TSN coordinator to follow up with the patient and tell them what it's about. So we just started a TSN group in Asheville where I practice. And Anna, one of the things that I found that I personally wanted to ask you about is we have a support group that meets once a month. And we're finding that, you know, we're attracting a whole group of survivors, but those survivors have different injuries and different stories and different needs and are in different states of recovery. Some have had their trauma many, many years ago, and some are fresh traumas. And so it's been interesting to run the group. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on, it almost reminds me of a, teaching a yoga class that's like a mixed levels class and how challenging that can be. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on how 
how to run a group like that? Well, one of the things that we have found over the years of, of having a variety of different people in one group is trying to figure out if there is one thing that really is, uni- is a universal experience for all of them that is something that they're all able to help each other with, or if their their injuries are so heterogeneous that it's just not possible to find a topic that's really appropriate for all of them. For instance, we have found that the folks uh, living with and surviving with traumatic brain injury have very different needs from those who are recovering from orthopedic injuries, who have very different needs from those who are recovering from spinal cord injuries. So we have at our site tended to have different groups for each of those populations, whereas the families can kind of go uh, either to the, the, the group where the patient would naturally go or to a family group or to another one of the groups. So I have found that TBI experience, the severe TBI experience and the families of that can be pretty different from someone with a femur fracture who is struggling with a lot of recovery issues, but not so much the same ones as the TBI patient. So I don't know if this answers your question, but when you have enough of a critical mass, it seems that the conversations are fairly different in recovery for those three populations. When you don't have a critical mass, when you have just say five people and one of them has um, is a survivor of a TBI. One of them is a family member of someone who is still in the hospital recovery system, and one of them has a spinal cord injury. You will uh, find something that is something that they can all relate to. For instance, how my life has changed, and how I didn't expect this, and what are my areas of resilience to work through this. That's something that all of them would probably share. Are you the one who's actually leading these groups? Oh no, but I have attended as both a trauma surgeon and as a family member of uh, someone who died by a traumatic event. And what is very interesting is in our last meeting, we had five new members show up and they all had TBIs. Uh And the tone of the meeting totally changed. And we were kind of all flummoxed by it because no one leading the group is a therapist per se. So I was curious. And and so that seems to be uh, good advice, perhaps having um, multiple groups. The other thing I would say is the American Drama Society's national coordinator. Those folks have deep experience running groups, running them well, running them badly, having different challenges in the groups. And a significant part of their role is providing supervision and coaching for anyone who is actually finding themselves in a leadership role in these groups. And so we offer, the American Trauma Society, offer that kind of support to people who are building their clinical skills as group leaders. And it's always useful to know that you're not gonna hurt someone very severely by flummoxing a group. You just miss opportunities. And the nice thing about being in relationship and conversation is all missed opportunities can be captured later as long as you as long as you demonstrate empathy interest and a real concern those folks will probably come back and help you figure out exactly how to provide the support they need and when i started my support group 25 years ago i was an absolute new grad social worker i had no 
training, well, I had training, excellent training, just no experience. And what I learned that was that the, the group members were my best teachers to figure out what they needed. They, they tell you what they need and they help you figure out how to get it for them. And if you just are a good listener and open to what they want, it's pretty likely that you'll be able to support them. They may say, I think we need a different group for people living with these injuries. Or they may say, you know what? I feel like I really got some commonalities with these folks from across the injuries. Let's stay together. Mm, thank you for that. Chris, I have a question for you. I know there is talk from the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma's Orange Book that recommends that trauma centers provide PTSD screening and support. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about this from both a clinical and an administrative perspective? Well, I mean, I, I think it's really good that the college is, um, you know, turning their attention to to this issue because it's really uh, under-addressed, as, as we know, nationwide. I think it remains to be seen how trauma centers will individually act upon this if it's um, a recommendation for trauma center verification, because um, you know it takes time, it takes resources, it takes money and um, willingness. So there are a lot of things out there and uh, new techniques uh, that are in development to recognize patients while they're in the hospital that might be at risk for post-ICU syndrome, PTSD, acute reactions, and, and things like that. And I think we're going to see those uh, you know, trauma surgeons and trauma centers be more familiar with those and put them into use and look for these resources uh, for the patients that turn out to need them. And we're happy that in addition to providing care for the patients in the hospital, now we might have some incentive if we don't already have it to look out for our patients during the rest of their recovery after they leave the hospital. And I'm assuming TSN could certainly fill this role. Yeah, we, uh, TSN definitely can. I mean, I think if you look across the country, there aren't really a whole lot of programs. I don't think there's any program quite like the TSN that uh, provides this kind of uh, level of support for trauma patients. And uh, certainly the TSN has the, the record and the experience. And so we're ready in the American Trauma Society to you know provide uh, this resource to trauma centers that that want it and need it. And we're, um, you know, standing at the ready to see what happens with uh, the college's, you know, verification program. So besides the peer visitation program and these multiple support groups, Anna, what other um, programs or offerings does your TSN program provide throughout the hospital? You know, I'm going to turn that to John and, and Richard, because they're involved with the variety of things that we do here. All right, I'll give you one instance, Red, and that is an outreach program where uh, trauma survivors are grouped, one to six of us, go out to a fire department or an EMT training center where EMTs are getting trained or, or volunteer fire people are getting trained to do their jobs. And we stand up and give a 10-minute story about what our trauma was like and what EMTs and fire department people meant to our re 
the accident that we had and part of the recovery program. And it turns out that I just thought of that about people like that in that business as just being facilitators to getting me to a hospital. But the return on the investment to me in this activity is very high in that I continue my healing. I still consider myself healing from my accident now almost six years ago that after uh, spending a half an hour, an hour talking to EMTs in an open classroom environment is very, very rewarding and very uh, medicinal for me. So I, I have to say, I think of, you talk about other activities that, that TSN leads into. And I have to say, I think Anna may be the Tom Sawyer of the 21st century because <laughs> she has us all painting the fence and, and liking it and thinking it's worth doing it. And it is worth doing it. There's a, just a, a whole uh, sort of ripple effect of things that, that I have been engaged in after just starting out as a peer visitor in, in TSN. And, and Richard alluded to all these community presentations. They haven't just been to EMTs, they've been to nursing students and high school STEM students and externs and physical therapists and EMSs and firefighters. Uh, we went down and, and spoke, I think it was at George Washington at that hospital when they were starting their TSN program to talk about they're starting up a peer visiting program there. Uh, connected areas, we've done, we do patient surveys. I think we've helped with grant applications for research. Anna may have talked earlier about being uh, standardized patients using peer visitors or trauma survivors as, uh, as I guess, as actors portraying or trauma survivors portraying <laughs> actors portraying <laughs> trauma survivors. <laughs> uh, it goes on. I've, I've now gotten down. I'm working on a uh, serving on a patient advisory committee here at the hospital with trauma. Uh, the list it goes on. It goes on, and, and I think even beyond the hospital, we've got a couple of people that Richard and I have worked on. Uh, we have uh, one of our family members whose daughter suffered a TBI at a very early age. She was reading books by an author who writes books for uh, how people deal with different medical or physical injuries. And she contacted the author and the author agreed and wrote a children's book on TBI. Uh, we have another trauma survivor, TBI, who a gunshot victim. And she appeared in a, in a documentary, I think it's on Netflix or Amazon now, on, I think called Behind the Bullet, in which they talk about survivors of gunshot wounds and victims. And, and it's so it, there's this tremendous ripple effect of activities and I think of value that has come out of, of TSN. So yeah, it's, it's a lot more than just having that little support group that, that got started. It, it, it has great effect far beyond what it initially started. And, and I'm, you know, just kind of, kind of grateful if they asked me to join up. It's been a good experience. The other thing I would add is that whenever I have the opportunity to go speak about the TSN or about anything that has to do with care and the hospital, I always know I'll be able to find a volunteer to join me to represent the people about who I'm speaking. So I never talk about trauma survivors without having them with me and uh, including going and doing advocacy on Capitol Hill, or uh, with in other hospitals. So they, I, the benefit to a hospital of having a trauma survivors network 
is having a network of trauma survivors who want to advocate and be part of the solution to whatever the recovery process is for the next trauma survivor. We always have representation by patients on committees, in research, and on all projects that involve caring for patients. And so I, I think that's one of the most important untapped resources of the TSN are the trauma survivors who will network with the hospital to bring voice to the patient. And here we thought that the trauma surgeons were the hardest working people in the hospital, but it turns out it's our patients. <laughs> and we appreciate that greatly. Absolutely. Yeah. Anna, I have a question for you. If any of our audience members are interested in starting a TSN group, how do they go about doing that? I think the first thing that you would encourage a, a burning soul who is interested in being the, the heart of the TSN, I would say find yourself first and foremost a patient partner to help you think through how you would develop this. And once you get a grateful patient, a passionate patient, somebody who has benefited from the care and has a strong interest in, in, in providing increased services to the patients, it's really hard as a staff member to not prioritize that person who keeps calling you or emailing you and saying, what's the next meeting we're gonna be in? So I think the first thing you do is you find yourself a patient who wants to partner with you in developing a program. The next thing you do is you find yourself some surgeons or some therapists who have in mind the patients who keep coming back or keep showing up with some chocolates or flowers on their anniversary who, def who continue to have a relationship with the system that facilitated their recovery. Those are the people who will, like John and, and Richard, jump on the opportunity to provide services to the next um, generation. So the main thing is getting partnership from passionate patients. I think one of the things that we've learned that kills the developing pro program is going first to get yourself a handbook, which requires you to go through marketing and administration and all sorts of paperwork that is a quick way for a coordinator to feel super discouraged. And when we keep the focus on the patient and the partnership of the patient, it's a lot easier to keep the energy going toward developing maybe a support group, maybe a peer visiting group, maybe a team of people who want to do some education. But uh, not involving patients early on will make it really challenging to keep an eye on what's most important. That makes me happy. I feel like we're doing it right at our hospital. You are doing it right. We're, we're six months in and we're just finishing our handbook now, but we've already engaged the patients and have a great volunteer who's doing the handbook. So I guess awesome. again, well done. So you have patients, those patients first, but I do have another kind of question and follow-up to that is, you know, what would you say to those hospitals that are interested in starting a TSN group, but don't have the staff resources? Like what is the bare minimum staff resource that you need? The bare minimum is somebody who's truly interested in doing this. And uh, for instance, at Fairfax, we started it with me being a, a case manager, social worker on the floor working full time. And my supervisor was kind enough to allow me a couple hours every other week 
to hold a support group. And that meant that I wasn't actually supposedly working more hours. I was given those two hours to do this. Most supervisors will do that if that means you're going to be starting a new program that uh, benefits the trauma patients. So really, I think you could do it with one super passionate TSN coordinator who may be a mental health professional, may be a physical therapist, may be a staff member who has had an experience themselves as a family or a patient. And then you need to have that person will coordinate with the, the providers that I mentioned that would have a list in their head. And all of the providers always do of the folks who seem to have really touched their heart, who would probably be passionate, engage, engaged patients in this kind of a program. So I think the minimum is having somebody who's really interested. Um, if you are lucky enough to have somebody who had five to 10 hours a week to do this, that would probably be enough to get something just started. And that's how Innova Fairfax was able to, for the first five years, we had, it was just a side job for me. But with all the volunteers that you have, it's not challenging to get, get the work done. When we developed into a bigger program, it was because we had the opportunity to apply for grants. John would be the one that I would go to now to help me with that. And we got a grant from the Bank of America who gave us $50,000 to see what we could do with that for a year and uh, really was able to take off at that point. Oh, wow. Chris, I'm wondering, do you or any of your um, trauma surgeon colleagues attend these meetings ever? You know, I, we don't attend the actual support group meetings, but we have a, an annual uh, trauma survivors what would you call it? A dinner, uh, Poop, banquet, banquet, a, yeah, know, festivity to festivity. to celebrate the TSN, and uh, and we might attend that and talk and and meet uh, a lot of the peer visitors and the the TSN uh, folks that are participating at our hospital. So, in follow up to that, I'm curious, why do you think the TSN should matter to trauma surgeons and to trauma programs? I think two things come to mind. One is I think there's increasing recognition in our profession that care of injured patients and recovery of injured patients is we view it more comprehensive now than we used to. So, you know, when you're first starting out as a trauma surgeon, you might be all concerned about the anatomy and the physiology, but we really have to view it in a more comprehensive way. It goes on far longer than the hospital discharge. And so I think that message is really getting out there in the trauma community. And then the other thing is, I think we're, we have to, this is going to make some trauma sur surgeons bristle a bit. We have to recognize our limitations. You know, when, uh, as we talked about earlier in the conversation, it's such a nice feeling to know that we have the resource of the TSN when we're met with the, I'm going to call them non-medical, non-surgical challenges with our patients. And so we have to realize that we can do so much, but I'm not the person to answer the questions about those kind of things that the TSN coordinator and the peer visitors uh, can answer. You know, again, it goes back to the credibility of, of the resource. It's kind of like, you know, if I'm going into surgery and the anesthesiologist is kind of telling me what I'm going to get into when I'm doing that operation on the abdomen, you know, they've been there, they have some experience, but they really don't know what it's like because they're not doing the operation. So, you know, I trust their opinion to some extent, but not all the way. 
one other benefit of having a trauma survivors network on essentially on staff is a hospital has just limited resources in providing, I guess, supportive care, good listening. And the patients don't seem to really notice the difference between the various people coming into the room in terms of who's paid to do what. They just know, am I having an experience where this is a caring hospital or am I having an experience where mostly just want to get me out and are not really concerned for who I am. And when we have people wandering through the hospital, going into patients' rooms and providing that, I guess, loving touch in a, same, in a, in a way, the patients have this experience of the whole system being uh, a caring system. So that's one thing. It sort of, it allows the hospital to have this uh, patient experience be increased. But the other thing is it's really a, an advantage to the hospital to have a cohort of trained experts, essentially, in trauma recovery who will be excellent partners in presentations for um, education, for all the advocacy I talked about. It's very challenging to find those people ad hoc and all of a sudden train them up and figure out whether they're going to be scary as a partner in, in a presentation or if they're going to really match your message. But when you have a whole team of them already on the volunteer staff, essentially, you can just pick out which ones you want to have representing with you, being on a committee, being on a presentation. It's just a resource that it seems most hospitals would love to have. Also, it looks good in the media. <laughs> Noted. Um, John and Richard, as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Richard looks quizzical. I, I've got just a brief thing, and I just want to go back to, to something that Anna was talking about and you were talking about earlier. A discussion about setting up a, a TSM program and peer visiting and, you know, sort of that the tension between having uh, groups dedicated to TBI or trauma or, or some or some other sorts of things. And, and what I found useful is both that to have a dedicated group for TBI, for example, was, is very useful and very helpful, but I don't think you ought to not have the cross-pollination of, in maybe a larger group session, of uh, people who have, have had different trauma experiences. I know for myself that the, the two people who were most helpful to me and sort of the uh, gaining insight into what I had gone through were people who had TBI, who, who had that as an injury. And they kind of offered me insights, which I didn't get from the trauma people. And which kind of made my, opened my eyes a little bit. And when I went through the next step, steps program, uh, my group with the exception of me, there it was all, it was an all TBI group. And it gave me a much deeper understanding and appreciation of what they were going through. And it, frankly, it helped me when I was doing my peer visiting, because we don't always just, Richard and I just don't always see people who fall off their bikes or fall out of trees. We see people who have TBI or some other incidents, or we talk to family members with buttonholes and want to talk to us. Having that cross-pollination, I think, made us better, at least made me a better peer visitor, and it helped me recover, helped in my recovery as well. So. Yeah, I think the silos of specialized groups are very important, but I think it's also good to have that sort of cross-reference with each other. 
I appreciate that feedback. That's very helpful. I, I, can, I can second that, Brad, also, in that I was members of both the TBI group and the general trauma group, if you want to call them that. And I did uh, participate in TBI group for a couple of sessions and didn't find it as uh, rewarding as a general group because I, I guess got more return on investment from hearing other people's injuries beyond TBI. I know what TBIs are all about. I'm, I'm living it, but hearing other people about that are, have lost children or have had other horrible experiences in life and supporting them in a meeting in an open group meeting that you only see once a month, if that is from an empathetic perspective it's it's very satisfying as a participate a participant in a group like that thank you chris and anna do you have anything to add as we're finishing up a couple things i realized that since i'm not currently running the trauma survivors network i realized there are a couple other activities that they do with great regularity that i forgot to mention and one of them is the family class that, that is held in the intensive care unit for families hanging out or families visiting the, the patients in the ICU. That's something that's just mostly informational, providing a little support once a week in the ICU. And that is run by our uh, social work interns. And then there's the Next Steps program that John mentioned, which is an online self-management class that actually, I think there's one starting today that uh, is free to all trauma survivors in the country who uh, wanna go through a, an online class uh, facilitated by a psychologist to learn the skills of managing their own care. And how do people get involved with that? They go onto the American Trauma Society website and to, through the TSN section, we'll figure out when the next, next steps classes and uh, can sign up that way. Chris, anything else you want to add? Uh, well, I'm just grateful that we had this opportunity to uh, work with East on this podcast. I would just encourage any listeners that you know want information, just go check out the American Trauma Society website and the Trauma Survivors Network website, which is within the ATS website as well. And uh, there's all kinds of information there. And we welcome more physicians to our group. And we really are here to provide support to trauma centers and our patients in any way we can. So hopefully we will continue to make progress. Like we said, 110 TSN centers nationwide right now and looking to grow. So we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks, I'll be sure to put these links in our show notes. I so appreciate all of your time today. Thank you so much, I've learned a lot. I feel like I can go back to my coordinator with some great ideas as well, which I appreciate. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. Yes, you, you too. too. Bye-bye. And that wraps up another edition of TraumaCast, brought to you by the East Online Education Committee of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. You can check out all the great educational and career development resources available on the East website at www.east.org. And make sure you subscribe to the TraumaCast series so you don't miss any of our exciting upcoming programs and interviews. So if you're searching for cutting-edge science and research, professional education, network and building relationships, and career development, remember that all you need to do is look to the East.